Hello, everyone. Welcome to our first ever High V Center podcast. Uh, we're welcoming, welcoming everyone here to uh, meet with us. Uh, I'm Marlon Blakeney, host of Q World Podcast. Q World is one of the original and first podcasts I've ever done. Originally set up to talk to you about real people, real world, their experiences, and how they've overcome all of their obstacles to become great and what it took. Uh, today, we are very, very fortunate to have a good friend of mine, Brian McCray. Brian McCray played Major League Baseball center fielder for the Kansas City Royals, the New York Mets, the Chicago Cubs, the Colorado Rockies, and the Toronto Blue Jays. Uh, really, really good friend. Came watch me a little bit while I was at Kansas University, and from there, we've been actually great friends and followed each other throughout the course of the years. Today, he is here to talk a little bit about his life, his experiences, uh, what he's currently doing now, and the impact Kansas City and his dad, Hal McRae, had on him today and his future. So today, man, I want to welcome you big time. Good Thank you, Bob. Really it's good, good to see you. See you. It's, uh, it's good to uh, be able to get together and reconnect and hang out. Right. right. After all these years of. Uh, Watching each other uh, from afar, and, and uh, mm -hmm. you uh, get back in the Kansas City area, so it's it's, it's been nice, and uh, you know, remember some of the good times, and then make it make it more good times. No doubt, that's right. <laughs> Every day, and this was funny. He's being humble, but I was literally I moved back to Kansas City, uh, and I didn't know where I wanted to stay like permanently. So I was going to go down south on the Kansas side because that's all I've really known for the most part. I never really lived downtown because downtown was kind of this. Spoke. You didn't hang out yeah, downtown. Did, yeah, was nothing going on, right? Really, and then. Over the last 10 years, it's just boomed, right? They're booming. So uh, Brian called him up. He's like, man, give me some ideas. Where do you think I should stay? He's like, man, no question, downtown. So uh, literally came down, saw, saw a couple places, and overnight moved in. So I want to thank you for that because I, I love it down here in Kansas City, Missouri, downtown. And, um, again, this is part of what happened since I've been down here. We've met some great people and uh, continue networking, like I said, have some good times. So, Brian, I think everybody wants to know, man, a little bit about you. Is like, where are you originally from? Like, where were you born? Like, Originally from Bradenton, Florida. Mm -hmm. And that, that's where uh, my parents uh, uh, grew up. Uh, my mom's from Bradenton. My dad's from a little bit uh, outside of there, Avon Park, Florida. They're native Floridians. Mm -hmm. And even though um, during the season, my dad was all over the place. So, uh, started off playing with the Reds, and, and then here in Kansas City, we always had a home in Florida. Gotcha. So whatever was going on during baseball season, we were at and at that point where my dad was in the minor leagues or in Cincinnati or here in Kansas City. Um, for the most part, we were the family would be together baseball season after we got done with school. I'd move here to Kansas City, finish up school year here start the school year the next year, and after baseball season was over uh, in early November or so, until I started playing high school football, we would go back to Florida uh, in early November. High school football, they allowed me to stay in Kansas City a little bit longer, so we stay until probably early December or so, think right around Thanksgiving. So I went back and forth to two high schools, uh, to Blue Springs here in the Kansas City area and uh, Manatee High School uh, in Bradenton, Florida. And I did that all four years. 
it, they weren't at that time weren't any issues. I made sure I did the state requirements in both places, but uh, everybody's like, well, why didn't your parents just stay here in Kansas City? They're Floridians. They don't like cold weather. <laughs> exactly. They didn't want to just stick like, around. <laughs> yeah. And they all they known is you know Florida, and that's where they have roots and feel comfortable. Uh, this was their second home, and they enjoyed it here also. But they didn't want to spend the winters here, so I would have to pack up and, and go back and and rejoin my school there. But it wasn't was wasn't bad because that's what I knew. You know, you you being a military family. Mm-hmm. You're used to moving around. Yeah, that's right. And being in a baseball family, even though my dad played majority of his career here in Kansas City, right. he played 14 of his 17 or 18 years here uh, with, with the Kansas City Royals. He was in Cincinnati right. for parts of six years, right. going up and down between the minor leagues and, and, and the big leagues. So we've lived in Knoxville, Tennessee. We lived in Puerto Rico. We lived in Caracas, Venezuela. You know, we've bounced all over uh, the place, and I, I was used to it. Since I was the oldest, mm-hmm. I was the one that traveled the most. Uh, when my brother, who's five years younger than me, and my sister, who's ten years younger than me, when they were born, my dad was here. You know, he was established here. He didn't get traded away. Stayed here, but I was the one that was moving all over the place. So I, I, I was used to it, and it wasn't really that big of a deal to me to be six or seven months one place, five or six months another place, and uh, and pick up and do it all over again. There's something I feel like a lot of people don't get, and I think it's really important when you're raising kids. I think we all have this idea how we want to, you know, not control them, but want to be around them, want to manage them, not get them too into too much or too little, and try to manipulate their lives when it's just not even up to us how it's manipulated. But talk a little bit about how the impact of traveling benefited you as a youngster to where you are today as far as your mentality, your attitude. Over- I'm just used to it. Yeah, yeah. And the movements and moving around and things happen spur, spur of the moment. I'm kind of, that was ingrained in me because one day we'd be in Indianapolis, which is the AAA farm club for the, uh, for the Reds. And the next day they say that my dad got called up so my dad would be gone, and my mom and myself and my uncle used to come up, and he used to drive us around all the time and just help us move, and we were, that, that, that just happened. So over time, I got used to things happening quick, mm-hmm. adjust, making adjustments, right. and you know, adapting and being the type of person that could fit in with all kind of different right. crowds because right. I was around different people you know, I tie my shoes a different way because my babysitter was from England. Oh, well, get out of here! And so I do. I, I never knew right. what I was doing so it was, it was wrong, but I do. I tie my shoes backwards. Okay, I got but you. my babysitter, when I was young, right. he was an English guy, gotcha. and I learned from him. And so, and then I had Spanish-speaking friends that I go to their house and eat when I. Was, so I just I I didn't see anything as being abnormal with the movements and, and being with people from different cultures as a, as a little kid because I was thrown into situations where here, right. it's like, this is, you gotta survive. Yeah, <laughs> yeah and you, you have to figure it out. It's like, yeah. there's a guy from England here. Yeah, right. I don't speak Spanish, but right. the two kids at my age that I gotta play with, they speak Spanish, wow. so I had to figure it out. And, wow. and so that, you know, fast forward to now, um, I'm, I'm just used to those things. In the minor leagues, I live with the Latin guys. You know, nobody wanted to live with the Latin guys in the minor leagues. They, they, they didn't feel comfortable. But I was already used to that. 
Now, so those type of things, when 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 certain situations come up, I've been going through them, and right. you know, I, I, it's 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 not say easy for me, but I understand and I can adapt, and it doesn't it doesn't stress me out, and uh, I think that's something that. Uh, you know, you've met some of my friends. I have got friends all over the spectrum. Yes, you do. And yeah. I think that's because of being able to, yeah. to adjust and move around and meet different people and figure out there, there's a lot of common ground in what everybody wants to do. That's right. That's exactly right. So the cool thing about what I, I heard you say earlier, because, you know, I played football. And I think back when we were growing up, we all played a lot of everything. We played football, baseball, you know, all year round track, all that stuff. But you said you, you played football in uh, Kansas City. And then you went back to Bradenton area and played baseball. Uh, which one did you like more? Like if you if you had football wise, yeah. I never put on pads till the ninth grade. Okay. So I wasn't ready for Florida football. My my high school in Florida was turning out D one athletes. Gotcha. Um, there's six or seven guys that played in the NFL that went to Manatee High School. They they win state championships or go you know compete. It is similar in this area to Rockhurst, but, but we were a public school, and we were kind of similar to what, what Rockhurst was. I wasn't ready for that as, as a freshman. I, was, I, I hadn't played any organized football. Those kids have been playing organized football. So here at Blue Springs, I was able to find myself as a, as a football player at a slower pace than I would have. I, I wouldn't have been, I probably wouldn't have played down in Florida. Sure. So that worked out good for me there on, on the football side because I knew nothing. Right. Right. Knew no play. <laughs> no, no, I just, I was right. just, I was just an athlete. <laughs> yeah, I they wouldn't have had time to yeah. develop me down in Florida gotcha. when they were able to do that mm-hmm. at, at Blue Springs. And, and, and for baseball wise, mm-hmm. the competition that I faced in Florida and the weather and the things like that, I was playing against Gary Sheffield. Oh. You know, there were guys yeah. like that, Derek Bell, Dwight. There were there were guys like that in that area. Tino Martinez, Louis Gonzalez, okay. Fred McGriff. Those were guys that were in my area. They were in Tampa, gotcha. and I was just south of there. And so, when I got to varsity, I was playing against guys that were going to be in the big leagues that I would see later on in, in the big leagues. So, playing against that type of competition was good. And then I played Legion ball here in Kansas City and Legion ball at that time was a lot better than high school ball. Okay. The weather was better. Mm-hmm. You playing it, it just seemed like the the, the the style of play was was a lot better than your normal high school season in the Midwest. So I, I think I had the, got the best of both worlds in how I was able to develop in baseball and football because of the, the movements and, and moving around. And I think the exposure that I got without – it wasn't travel teams, but I was kind of on a travel team yeah, with myself yeah, with the bouncing around in the back and forth. Mm-hmm. And, again, it, just to making those adjustments, being able to be coached by different people mm-hmm. and having different teammates, you know, different sets of teammates, different coaches, different philosophies, all those things that I was able to have thrown at me at a young age and then adapt and adjust to. You know, I, it's, what I found is valuable, and me and you think the same this way. I just, I just really, I believe the best outcomes you can get for when you're raising kids or have kids you're coaching or whatever is to put them in uncomfortable positions. And you're saying the exact same thing. 
making you figure it out, overcoming obstacles, but also it's giving you that mentality that if you put your mind to it, you can succeed. And uh, and competing against the best competition. Um, what what when you got to so when you transitioned like when you came from high school, obviously you said you played against some of the great players, some superstars, all stars in uh, MLB in high school. When did you know? Like I always ask that because I have a certain point when I knew I was going to be able to go to college or I knew I was I could go to the next level. When did you know? Like okay, I'm gonna be able to play in AAA or AA. It took a few years because. I was the youngest kid. I graduated at 17. With the, I had a late birthday or early birthday, however you want to um, say it. So I, I graduated as a 17-year-old. And two months after playing after, after playing my last high school or Legion game, I'm signing a pro contract and I'm playing against men, like college right. kids that, exactly. that, that are a lot older than me. So it took me a while to figure things out because I struggled my first three or four years in the minor leagues, and it, it just took me a while to kind of catch up. You know, I was I was good, but I was not where where those guys were, and they were five years, you know, four or five years older than me, stronger, more mature. You know, they high school you don't play every day, pro ball you play every day. We were down in Florida in the hot sun in the summertime playing games every day, and that'll beat that'll beat you up. So that that schedule that grind I wasn't used to. You know, we'd work out and then play a game. So we have a full practice and full two and a half hours. I was used to 25, 30 minutes, get ready, and then you play your game. Not a full day. So it took me a while to get used to the, the professional baseball schedule, the things that you're asked to do. And as a 17-year-old, you're thrown into that where some of these guys have already had structure of college and it's similar. And I didn't, so it, it was probably three or four years in the minor leagues before I caught up to speed, for one. And then once I caught up to speed, understood that I could hang with those guys. Because a lot of guys I'd seen on TV right. playing college baseball at the College World Series. You know, I'm playing against guys from Miami, mm -hmm. LSU, right. Arizona State, USC, and you look back like two or three years ago, I was watching these guys. You know, they're on ESPN right. playing, playing in Omaha. Right. Like, am I that good? It's like, it's like, I'm just a good high school player, but these guys are good college players. Right. So that, that awe, I was in awe of some of those guys for, for a while. Yeah, for sure. for sure. Until I started having some success playing against them to understand that we were on the same playing field, even though they had accomplished some things in their amateur career that I wasn't. You know, I didn't do because I signed out of, out of high school. So you have to get over that awestruck all, all, all mm -hmm. of, of some of those guys because some of those guys put some great numbers up in college. Yeah. And I was like, I'm on the same field with these guys. But, like, hold on, you okay. You're here because you can play with them. And, and I think that's the biggest thing as a young kid, just understanding that you do belong. And just because they did some things, that doesn't mean that they're, they're that much better than you. You know, uh, and you know, you're making it sound really easy. Um, I want to talk a little bit more about that because I think there's a lot of kids that, not on different levels, not just pro, but college. People are going to college. Kids are going to college from high school. Uh, maybe this is your first year as a junior, going to play varsity next year in basketball or baseball or football. And uh, you've been watching this stuff from your freshman year. You've been watching the, the juniors and seniors and the athletes that are real good. And you don't know if you got there. What What did you do? Like, how, so it's a mentality, I guess, is what I'm asking. But 
how did you because it, 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 you can get overwhelmed like real quick like it could be like you go in there like ah oh, and you can just shut down or how did it, was it little bitty wins every day that just you found that you could do or how did you sustain over time to build that success and that mentality that I can hang with these guys I watched the best guys mm-hmm. and tried to emulate what they did gotcha. you know so I, I watched some of the top prospects not only with the Royals but we would play spring training games against the other minor league teams when I first signed and there was like six or seven teams that be there and you knew who the top prospects were and you just watched how they worked, what they did, what made them successful, how they carried themselves, what they, you know, and uh, you know what they did on and off the field, things like that. I just watched those things and it's like, okay, well, you know, I like that. I like how he goes about, he does this and how, you know, he had a bad day, but he's not throwing helmets, he's not throwing bats, he just walked back to the dugout, went out and played defense, you know, just kind of watch, watch those things. And that's, that's what I did. I just wanted to soak up a lot, uh, ask a lot of questions, and just watch. You know, watching and listening are two things that I don't think a lot of, not, not only athletes, but just a lot of young kids in general don't don't do enough. They want to talk too much, and they want to try to do too much without understanding the process. And I didn't think I was going to get to the big leagues in a short period of time. I didn't know I was going to struggle like I struggled at, at times in the minor leagues. But I didn't I didn't think it was going to be easy road to get to the big leagues. So I tried to take a step back, learn as much as I could, listen watch the guys that were doing things that I wanted to do and see how they did it and then try to repeat those things. I love it, man. I love it. The, uh, the thing that I think we need to really talk about and I think is prevalent today, obviously, is COVID, you know, and, and so we talked about your transition from high school to, uh, you know, playing ball to the next level. Talk a little bit about today, the challenges that not only just high school kids have playing baseball, but uh, with COVID, and but going to the next level, the idea of how to get there. Well, I think the biggest thing that we've seen impacted over the past year, year and a half, is colleges. You know, if you're trying to get to college, they, they haven't been able to recruit and get out and recruit. A lot of them haven't been able to bring kids on campus. I think June 1st mm-hmm. is when uh, it's going to open up. Right. Kids have seen extra years added so if you're a high school senior you're going to college now competing you may be competing against a 24 25 year old Uh, so the dynamics have changed from what what you want to do go to a four-year school or go to a two-year school a lot of kids especially in baseball Mm -hmm. are choosing to go to junior college route right now because they have a chance to play earlier than going to the four-year school where they have seniors coming back or juniors that should have been gone right, right, right. and now they're, they're coming back so I think that the dynamics have changed to where you're looking D1 or busk you you may have to change your focus and not only with with athletes you know some of my friends that have kids that are going we're going into their freshman year they decided not to go to the four-year school and they stayed home and worked and went to junior college during COVID because they were thinking, I'm not going to get the four-year no, school experience my not, freshman year. Not at all. Yep. If I'm going to do uh, fraternity, sorority, just, just the social things like aspect of it, and I'm spending all this money, or my parents are spending this money, 
and we're doing virtual school. I can do virtual right. school from, from anywhere. Exactly. So it, it changed the focus where I've seen a lot. And it's just your core subjects anyway in right. the first two years. Right. I've seen a lot of kids that said, you know what, for my freshman and sophomore year, I'm probably just going to go to junior college with all this going on and wait a couple years and see how it plays itself out. Right. And then I'll be ready for the four-year school. And hopefully it's opened up to where I can enjoy it the way you're supposed to enjoy college. Because right. the kids, are, friends of mine that are gone off to the four-year schools, a lot of them, they're enjoying it, but not, they don't know what they don't know. Right. So they, they, don't, they, they hear about what they're missing out on. They're enjoying it because it's, it's what they're doing right now. But next year or the year after when things open up and you're able to f get that full college experience, you know, they're going to be like, wow, I wasted a year <laughs> exactly. sitting, sitting in the dorms on the computer doing virtual school and right. paying $15,000, you, know, you know, things like that. So I think in, in the COVID age, and hopefully we're about to come out of it, sure. I agree with you. that you've had to look at what you want to do and change it because what you want to do and what you're allowed to do right. two is, is two, two different things. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. That's a good point. So, you know, and this, and this is what's, what the killer is, I think, that most parents are struggling with because with COVID, what it's done, I think, isn't giving kids less opportunity or less, or less. it's giving them ideas and different, so I, I look at negatives as positives. That's just how I've always been. So if something doesn't go the way I go, I don't shut down and think it's over or that. I look at it as that this is just a better path or different path that I could probably, like, so if I was like, like we were in college, if we were, we were good athletes and we could go D1, I feel like I would do better at a JUCO as far as just dominating, building my skill set, being a leader for a team, being up, put in a position to be, you know, ahead earlier, right? Be in a position to start earlier, be in a position to, to be a team leader earlier, to be a position to lead and do things I need to do. Uh, so with these, these baseball players or any athlete going in right now that are deciding that, hey, you know, D1, I got two, two the, uh, half of the seniors are staying another year for, uh, because of COVID, because the NCAA let them, I go to JUCO, I feel like I could ball and be just as good. And not only that, with the way the, the social media and with the way that technology is, it doesn't really matter where you go anymore like it did back when we played because if you weren't at one of the bigger schools, it's really kind of hard for you to be seen. But now with social media and it's ESPN everywhere and it's just worldwide, uh, you can go anywhere. If you, if you can ball, they're going to see you. They're going to find you, right? That's, mm -hmm. what, that's, that's the way it is. And, and before that was – you know, it, it was like that. If you could play, right, you, right. you're going to get found. Mm -hmm. But mentality of young kids and mentality of some parents are, you don't brag about your kid going to junior college. No, you you know, it, it, unfortunately, <laughs> yeah. you know, a lot of people look down at junior colleges. Right. And they say it's just a step above high school. Mm -hmm. you know, they, right. they, downplay, they downplay the importance of junior college for – the kids or the athletes that are ready for a four year not everybody's ready for a four no, year school. Not at all. This this transition is very important. Cause it's not, you know, I always tell the kids it's not where you start, it's where you end up. Mm -hmm. So you can go to your junior college, figure out some things, right. set a good base for what you're gonna do as far as a student, how you're gonna do things socially, right. you know. Get you, get everything together. Right. Some kids need that. That's Junior colleges serve a purpose. Yeah, maturity, man. That's, that's rough. And then once you go to the four year school and you step on that campus, 
you can compete as a student, you can compete as an athlete. Socially, you're, you're two years you're more mature. And I think we have to change how we talk about it and how we think about it because there's people that have done great things that have started off at junior college and end up at a big, a big four-year school. But you don't hear people brag on their kids no, about like, no, like he's going to yeah, Johnson yeah. County Community yeah. College. They, <laughs> they keep that stuff see. quiet. Yeah, they do. It, why? It's not, there's nothing wrong with it. So right. we have to somehow convince our kids that there's nothing wrong with that. No. You're not taking a step back. You're not less mm-hmm. of a person if you go to junior college. It, it's not a bad thing. Get the negative stigma away from junior college. Junior colleges set up a lot of people for greatness. Yes, they do. That's right. That's and they serve a purpose. That's why they're there. It's better to go to junior college and then go to D1 school than go to a D1 school or a four-year school and have to come back. You that's know? right. Because once you go backwards, mm-hmm. then you feel defeated. Yeah, you really do. It's hard to come back after that to right. D1. That's a good point. So we, with, with your career, like we're going to move to your, your – your, you know, the MLB and those first steps. Like, let's talk about that first time you got moved up. Like, what, what was going on in your mind, and how did that feel to you when you, think you got that call? I was in double A mm-hmm. um, in Memphis for, the, for the, my, third, my third season in Memphis. I got called up from A-ball to Memphis the first time in, uh, I think it was 88. Yes, so I, I played like a month in A-ball in, in, in Florida, did well. Got called up to Memphis. Uh, struggled pretty much the whole the whole rest of the year in, in Memphis, but but stayed stayed there in Memphis. Um, Eighty nine came back right. to Memphis, and I was moved to the outfield in '89. I've been a shortstop and second baseman okay. pretty much my whole minor league career okay. uh, up until that point. So '89, I come back to spring training. They moved me to left field. I uh, have a little bit better better year, mm-hmm. but still. Still figuring some things out, um, hitting wise and learning a new position. Mm-hmm. Um, so I struggled in eighty eighty nine. In uh, in ninety, I think I go to spring training with the big league team for the fir- for the first time. Right. Uh, I get put on the forty man roster, which is yeah. what they have to do to protect minor minor league players. Gotcha. So I sign in eighty five. This is ninety. So this is my my sixth year of pro ball, mm-hmm. and it's right at that point where you got to figure some things out and you know where 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 your career is going i'm either going to get to the big leagues quickly or i may have to find another job right. do do, gotcha. do something else uh, gotcha. uh, so um uh, i moved from left field to center field in in 90 and then things just started to gotcha. to click there um that year with that team and that group um and August of, of 90, early August of 90, Bo Jackson got hurt. Yeah, yeah. And I got called up at, at that point. And I was, as I said, I was in Huntsville, Alabama. We were playing against the A's triple or double A team in Huntsville. Right. right. It was a three or four o'clock in the morning, knock on my door. We, was, we won't stay in nice hotels in the minor leagues. It was right. uh, like a Motel 6 or right, something, right. something like that. And I thought, Guys were playing a joke on me, right, right, and, and, and fooling around after they came come back from going out, right. knocking on my door, like get up, you you got the call, get up. I was like man, stop playing. <laughs> get 
get out of here. It's, it's too early. It's too early in the morning, and it was it was my manager. Right, right, right. Okay. And he would be he he was known to to hang out late, yeah, but yeah. also you know the prank. He was known to come back, yeah, yeah. come back to the hotel late, loud. Right. Um, and I was just like, man, Coxie, go to bed. You know, like, Jeff Cox was his name. Right. No, he's like, hey, he goes, hey, get your stuff. Right. You're going to the big leagues. And it's like 3.30, 4 o'clock. I was like, wow. what do you mean? He's like, yes. He goes, the clubhouse guy is here. He's going to take you to the ballpark. Wow. He goes, get your stuff. You're going to Kansas City, and I never want to see you in the minor leagues again. <laughs> I love it. He said that. It's like, and he started telling me the story. He goes, John Sherholz, who was the GM for the Royals, like, Sherholz called me and said, can he play in the big leagues right now? And I said, well, he may not be able to hit. No, I didn't ask if he can hit. I said, can he play center field in the big leagues right now? And, and Jeff Cox says, yeah, he can play. But I was like, no. And he's like, Cheryl said, I didn't ask about anything else other than if he could play center field in the big leagues right now. And Jeff Cox says, yes, he can. And so that was, that, that was kind of how that went down. And wow. I got to Kansas City and, um, you know, I got called, called up that morning, was in the game that night. That was before cell phones, so this is, this is 1990. Right so I got a hold of my mom wow. in the airport in Atlanta. I flew yeah. from Huntsville to Atlanta, Atlanta to Kansas City. Mm -hmm. So I had a little layover in Kansas City, in Atlanta. I was able to call my mom and let her know mm -hmm. that I got called up. Because it was not like today when no, yeah, everybody yeah. knows social media. Yeah, it's yeah. on the bottom line of ESPN, <laughs> uh, all those things. So all your boys know, everybody yeah, knows. Right. And no cell phones, so right. you can't call anybody. So I was on a pay phone in the Atlanta airport, called my mom. She was able to meet me meet me in Kansas City. She was able to get there oh, wow. for the That's game awesome. yeah. for the game that night. Um, but uh, basically, what I was told when I came up was, you know, you're going to play, and you'll probably be here for two or three weeks. Right. And when guys get healthy and come back, we'll probably send you to AAA, and we'll see what happens there. And ten years later, I was still in the big leagues. Wow. You know, awesome. I, I was told I was going to be around for, for for two weeks. Wow. And you know, I, I played well enough in that short span that got me some extra time. Right. And I always just felt that I needed to play well enough to yeah. just to stick. Yeah, agree. And that, yeah, that's yeah. how my career, especially the first three or four years, I wasn't worried about anything other than just playing well enough to stick around for another two weeks. So, like, when you got out, like, you like, uh, so, like, for me, it's like I try to simplify things. And, uh, and when I do it, like, even, like, business or anything, I try to simplify things. Like, it's like blocking and tackling. So, were you out there thinking, if I get a fly ball, just catch the fly ball. Right. If a grounder comes out, I'll just catch it and get it to the right person. Don't try to do too much. No, I'm just trying to do right. the basic stuff. Right. Like to stay alive yeah, yeah, to the yeah. next day. Right. Like just don't mess up. Right. You know, I, I was real cautious early. Right, right. Like just I don't want to mess up. Right. Uh, I want to make sure I'm in the right place at the right time. You know, early when wow. I need to you know, come early, work, right. stay late, right. do all the things. Right. Just it just wow. have the energy level mm -hmm. every day, even though some days I didn't feel it. Just right. fake it. Have an energy level every right. day that show that you want to be here and you want to make sure that you stay. Mm -hmm. and, and I just remember every ballpark and every city that I go to, right. and I was like, this may be the last time I come yeah. here. <laughs> and so I go to the ballpark early. Truth. I would sit in the stands mm -hmm. and I would walk around and just check out the ballpark. It's like, this is a big league ballpark. Wow. And I may not be able to come back into a big league ballpark right. again. Right. You know, so I, 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 almost my whole career, 
I go to the ballpark early. I sit in the stands early, just take it all in and like to appreciate it. I walk around the city, you know, appreciate the cities. So all the cities I was in, even the bad ones like Pittsburgh at that time and Detroit in the early 90s and and Cleveland. I would just get out because like it's still a big league city. And I'm a big leaguer. Right. I don't know how long I'm going to be right, one, sure. but I'm going to check out and, and enjoy. So I, w- I just wanted to make sure that I enjoyed the short time I thought I was going to be in the big leagues right. from right. what I was told yeah. and um, and enjoy it to the fullest because right. there's a lot of guys that say, you know, we didn't enjoy it. Yep. You know, we didn't get a chance to, you know, enjoy everything that being a big league ball player, right. traveling all over the country. Right getting to meet different people, do different things. Right. You know, it may be something as simple as going to a restaurant that you may not go to. Sure. You know, one time when we were in Anaheim, mm-hmm. I rented a car and I drove to Beverly Hills. I'd never been to Beverly Hills <laughs> yeah, before. Yeah, exactly. This is like my rookie rookie year. I was right. like, I don't know, I'll go check out right. Beverly see, Hills. See I've never been there. Yeah. All the talk yeah. is. So I rented a car early and I drove and Checked it out. I didn't know about LA traffic. Yeah, I almost yeah. missed batting practice get, yeah. coming back. <laughs> but just to just do some things right. like that because you mm-hmm. didn't know when you get that opportunity and the opportunity presented itself with yeah. being a major league baseball player to do some things and mm-hmm. instead of just sit in my hotel room the whole time mm-hmm. and go from the ballpark right. to the hotel room, right. I tried to get out and you know, there were some cities I'd never been to before. I heard good things about places, try to sightsee, do things, do things like that, because I didn't know if I'd ever get the opportunity to do those things again. Right. That's good stuff, man. That's an unbelievable story. I could only imagine like that, 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 that excitement. So I just had that, I just had like the wide eye, wake up early. Yeah, yeah. Like, okay, what am I do today? Right. It's like, it's like, you gotta, don't have to be at the ballpark to right. a batting practice or stretch or whatever until 4.30. Right. So it was like, I mean. Right. Find some things to do. Let's, let me check out. It's like we're in this city. Like, yeah, like I'll go yeah. here. I do this. I do this. And, you know, that, like that was kind of how the first four or five years in the big leagues was like, like okay. Right. And then once I got established, then I was like, okay, now I ain't going anywhere. Right. I'm here. I'm here. Mm-hmm. Okay. Now let's see what I could do to stay, stay right. as long as possible, and to, you know, to, to make sure that now that I'm, I can, you know move into more of a leadership role. I'm not the young guy anymore. Mm-hmm. I'm not the rook. Right. I'm the guy that some of the younger guys may be looking towards. Mm-hmm. I'm the guy that is getting close to being a vet. Mm-hmm. I'm the guy that can can lead some guys in the right direction. Right. You know, so that 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 was a transition from being the young guy to just happy to be there right. just, just <laughs> like a little puppy dog to okay. Yeah. All right now this may be more of my team. So right. let's mold it into right. what kind of culture do we want to create here? Mm-hmm. What are we trying to do here? Right. We just showing up and playing or are we trying the, to win the ball game? Now, the yeah, the big, the, the big picture, mm-hmm. what down the road. So, mm-hmm. so that's kind of how, how it was. And, and then I got traded to the Cubs mm-hmm. and that was a great opportunity. You know, I'm, I, I thought I'd be with the Royals my whole career. I was with them from when I signed in 1985 to after the strike, you know, 1994 right. with the strike. Right. Then I get traded to, to the Cubs. The National League right. fit my style, right. fit fit my game. I was able to blossom. You know, mm-hmm. I, I my last two years in Kansas City were pretty good. Right. So I was starting to come into my own as a player right. and establish myself aside from right. my dad's career mm-hmm. and him managing. So right. I was kind of, right. it was that separation. Mm-hmm. And I get to Chicago and things take off mm-hmm. even more. 
You know, we on TV every day. Yeah, WGN, the day games, day the Cubbies, the lovable, you know, all yeah. that. And then I was exposed to a whole different element there in Chicago. And that's when I really started to enjoy, you know, okay, this is what the right. big leagues is about. Yeah, I got you. you know, Kansas City was cool, yeah. but Chicago. That's the major city, New York, yeah. L.A., Chicago. And so I, and I got to play into it, you know, then right. go from Chicago to, to New York right. and to play in, in that environment and to live in Manhattan yeah. and to soak up New York City and the vibe, uh, the energy level mm-hmm. that is there every day, the demands right. of what New Yorkers put on right. their, you know, as a young player, I wouldn't have been able to handle the struggles that I had playing in New York. Right. It would have beat me down because mm-hmm. it, it's just a negative city. Yeah. But as an older a more established player, I was able to to go to New York right. and and fight through it, yeah, and and not beat myself up as much as I would have if if I was 22 in New York. Mm-hmm. I don't know how some of those young guys yeah. handle it. <laughs> yeah, I agree. And that that's why you see so many yeah. I think players that fail in all mm-hmm. sports oh, in, yeah. in, in in New York. New York's tough, mm-hmm. and they'll chew you up and spit you out. The media's on you. Yeah. The fans are on you. I remember. Walking down the street, go to get some food, coffee, something like that. Had the garbage man yelling at me. Wow. You know, because <laughs> took strike three the night right, before. You right, know, right, the, right. their expectations and right. how they, you know, you have 20 million eyes on you right. every day. True, you're right. Man. And, you know, Bright lights, big having all that on you, some people can't handle it. Yeah. And as a young player, I'm glad I went from Kansas City to Chicago to New York, right. as opposed to starting off mm-hmm. in New York, because I don't know if I would have had the career that I've had, that I had, yeah. if I would have right. been drafted by the Yankees, which was close to happening mm-hmm. from what I found out later on that uh, uh, the Yankees scouts had been watching me more than any other scouts. Wow. And uh, the Yankees almost almost picked me, and I, I'm glad I didn't I didn't right. play for the Yankees. <laughs> That's I, no, no, I don't, I, I don't wish that upon mm-hmm. anybody as a young ball player right. coming up through the Yankees organization. Right. You know, I was a first-round pick, so being a first-round pick, mm-hmm. high expectations, and if you struggle, they just they yeah. just beat you down. Yeah, sure, sure. Damn. So this is one thing I think is really cu- I'm curious to understand. Uh, I've been hearing a lot about this the last like five years. It's probably five or six years. But w- what do you think is the part of why the '80s, '90s, and '70s a lot of minority players played baseball? Why is there a decrease? Do you believe in the amount of minority players today? Well, I think that. In my dad's my dad's era, the end of segregation yeah. here or there in the in the in the sixties, I think you had more of your communities that baseball was still right. enriched in. Mm-hmm. From barnstorming to the Negro League teams. Right. I think that, that baseball a lot of communities were impacted by by that in, in, in a positive way and it was what the kids did, mm-hmm. you know, they all played a lot of baseball. Yeah. It was not as expensive as it is now. Yeah. It was not as specialized as it is now. So the, I think the specialization, yeah. the expense of travel ball and showcases and things like that, that excludes a whole lot of people. And that excludes a lot, a lot of the minorities. Yeah. Uh, college scholarships mm-hmm. at the D1 level for a, a team like, you know, I, when I coached at Mizzou in 2017, they had 11.7 full scholarships for a roster of about 35. Wow. And you have to give, the, the smallest amount you can give to a kid is 25%. Wow. 
So yeah, everybody's yeah, paying. Yeah. So if you're if you're a good athlete and you don't sign out of high school and get a good good signing bonus because a, a lot of guys, if you watch minor league baseball, there are a ton of minorities. Right. You know, a lot of African Americans play minor league baseball. They they may not get to the, the, right. the big leagues. You don't see you don't mm-hmm. see the finished product, mm-hmm. but a lot of them. If you go to a minor league ball game, you will see a lot more minorities than, than, you, than you think. Okay. So kids, a lot of kids sign out of high school, they just don't make it. I got you. At the college level, they're just the scholarship act opportunities aren't there. Mm-hmm. And I think over time, the, the luster of baseball has been surpassed by the, by the other sports. Yeah, no doubt. And you have kids now that instead of wanting to be Willie Mays, right. they want to be Patrick Mahomes. Right. Or they want to be LeBron James. Mm-hmm. You know, they want to do they want to do those those things. And the communities that used to have good facilities, nice parks, mm-hmm. places to play, the kids would do play ball and things like that. You don't see kids that play Unorganized stickball no, or unorganized know. baseball. Everything is organized. Yes. Yep. Where we did a lot of things yeah. as young kids, we just get the. Def- mm-hmm. If there's eight kids in the neighborhood, yeah, we, we play a game with eight kids, yeah, and we figured out. Yeah, if they're not, you throw the ball against a yeah, wall. Exactly. So you don't see those type of things. And baseball takes more. Like you can get some guys together and throw the football. You can get some guys together and, and play basketball. And you don't have to have the the exact numbers, right, sure. and you can still do some of those things. Right. Baseball seems like you need more in numbers, and you just you don't see kids play like that anymore. No, not at all. They don't gather like that. They don't gather, and they don't just go to the park no, all day and just wear it out. No, they don't. They have. They need coaching. They have the specialized coach here, yep. and guys need their pitching coach, yep. and they need their hitting exactly. coach, and they need their five hundred dollar bat, and right. they, all it. And those things just. They exclude a lot of people oh, from, right. from the sport of baseball, and that's something that with me getting into coaching and the reason why I started doing coaching after I, I broadcasted um, for on and off for about 15 years, but doing, doing the coaching, right. the reason why I wanted to, to give back was just to give opportunity just to some of those kids, not even, then they have to be minorities, but just kids that to enjoy the game and to understand that you don't have to have thoughts of being a D1 baseball player, going to the, you know, playing pro ball to love baseball. Mm-hmm. And then those are going to be the future coaches right. that are going to help out. And I think we're losing some of those mm-hmm. future coaches right. because everything's so specialized and these guys are thinking now, well, if I don't get a scholarship, then I'm done with baseball. Right. Where there's all kind of other things right. that you can there's do. Opportunities, yeah. You know, you you can coach, you mm-hmm. can be a exec, right. you can do all 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 those things. So I think that's what gravitated me more to uh, to to coaching because I thought I could impact guys, not try to help them, you know, get to the big leagues. Because me coaching them, not gonna get them to the big right. leagues. Right, you got you. You know, that, that, that's not the way I I look right. at it. when I, when I see former players of mine right. playing college ball and a couple of them are now in the big leagues. I don't think they got to the big leagues because of me. Right. I helped them with some other things mm-hmm. maybe, but they were going to get to the big leagues regardless. Yeah, yeah. Now, when I have kids call me and they just got married or had their first kid right. and trying to figure out some things in life, mm-hmm. that's where right. it's, it's cool right. when I a guy comes too. back yeah. to me mm-hmm. and says, 
hey, Coach McCray, I, I remember, you know, we were on a bus ride and blah, 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 and you was telling me that, you know, I need to start focusing on other things because I'm probably not going to be right. good enough to play professional ball. Right. But you was like, you told me, like, you, you can be a professional dad, right. professional husband, right. professional worker, right. you know, things like that. So that, those are the things yeah. that uh, coaching, you know, make – make me feel good mm -hmm. and then they're going on to coaching right. you know I feel I, I like the guys and I, I enjoy watching the guys that yeah. I coach play in the big leagues and right. play college ball right. you know don't get me wrong that that's cool to right. see that right but it's also cool right to you know I'm walking around right. a dog park and I see right. one of my yeah, former yeah, players yeah. and right. he's got his kids there and right. he's happy and things mm -hmm. are going good for him mm -hmm. and his job as well you know right. those, those things are are, are are cool as well, and there's gonna be more of those guys, yeah, no doubt, <laughs> that I that I run across in my coaching right. uh, career than the guys that are playing in major colleges and and, and make it to the big leagues. No, no, that's a beautiful thing, and you're right. That's why I think a lot of families need to understand. No, it's a small percentage out of any any college athlete that plays the to the next level. Get um, the colleges. Yeah, work. it is very. Yeah. Very, I very. like oh. your first. You know, thought is I want to make my high school team. Mm -hmm. yeah, That's hard. Yeah, you know that that could be hard making varsity. So, mm -hmm. You know that could be hard. Then, you know, if you're good enough, then yeah. you maybe think about college. But then moving on to college and all, all it's it's not easy, yeah. and nothing is easy. And you're gonna fail. Yeah. And I don't think we have a generation that understands that failure is part of the process. And you may fail more than once. Mm -hmm. And you probably are. Yeah. We all do. And everybody repeatedly fails. Mm -hmm. Still do today. The people that you see on TV right. that you think are doing great things right. fail. Mm -hmm. And it, it's tough for me to see some of our younger, younger generation that, that when they fail, they fold. Right. Right. And, you know, I like putting – my players in uncomfortable situations and watch how they react when they fail. I agree. Because you can't tell a lot about somebody no. when they're doing good. Oh, you can't at all. <laughs> no, that, that's, yep. no. Yep. when, when you're going good, good, you're going, you don't need yep. nobody tell you to go on no, good. You're not going to change. No, no. But, but you can tell a lot about a person and how they, you know, how they react when they right. fail right. and what they do once they fail right. and how they try to get themselves back in order or do they not try to get themselves right. back in order. And you know that that's the the biggest thing that impacted me as a as a young player with some of my coaches in in, in minor league ball and, and in the pros were just how they treated you when you failed and how they treated you when you were going good. I wanted to be the same, and I learned a lot from some of my managers and coaches that weren't that way. When you were going good, they were your buddy. Right. You know, they want to come talk right. to you, yeah, yeah, come yeah. by your locker, right. hang out with you, you know, right. things like that. When you're going when you're going bad, they were not not right. they weren't around. Yeah. You know, you don't need anybody on your side when you're going good. Uh -uh. You really don't. Nope. Yep. So I wanted to make sure that I was the type of person or type of coach that when the guy was going bad, that's when I gave him more attention, more love. I left him alone when he was going good. Right. Like, I, like, you good. <laughs> you, you good, you know. You, hitting 400, hit a couple home runs, right. keep going. Like, like, but when they were struggling, right. that's when I needed to sit by him on the bus right. ride. Right. 
ask some questions about his family, you know, take him out to dinner, mm-hmm. you know, do, just do do some things like that. And that's what I felt that what I learned the most from some of my coaches and managers is like be there for him when he's in need, when it does nothing for you. Mm-hmm. You know, don't, you know, he, he, he might have lost the game for you or, or set up, you know, something bad happening. But, they, but he's going to help you down the road if he knows that you have his back when things are going back. And I saw so many cases of the other when everybody wanted to be with you when you're going good and you were alone when you're bad. And and I didn't want to and I didn't want to do that to my my players. I don't want to do that to to the, the the people that I'm around daily because that's that's not that's not how I work. That is enough. I'll be honest with you. That's part of the I think the reason a lot of people have mental mental issues are bad right now. Mental health is, is bad. It's a big talk topic right now, uh, based off of some of the things you're talking about. Um, but moving forward, we need to. I want to see what tell us. Tell everybody like the fun stuff. Some fun stuff about like people understand like when you're in like t- like you can talk a little bit about the Royals. Like some fun fun things that happen. But in Chicago, more more specifically, there you were Sammy Sosa back yeah, then. Yeah, I got to play with Ryan Sandberg. Yeah. yeah. Sammy Sosa, you know, I, I, I got to go back to being with the Royals. I came up with some of the guys that were still on the 85 that were oh, wow. on the 85 World right, Series right. team. We're still right. there in 90. Right. So George Brett was still there. Yeah. So um, Willie Wilson. Mm-hmm. Oh, Willie, man. Um, who else was there? Uh, got George, Willie, Saberhagen. Yeah. Gubazar. So there are probably five or six guys on that team Mm -hmm. in 90 that were there in 85. So I I got to, you know, be around those guys. I watched some of them growing up. Mm -hmm. You know, Frank White, Willie, and George were around when my dad was playing when I was a little kid. So I got to – I was a bat boy, ball boy. So that was was all cool because now I'm getting to play with those guys that I used to play around with Mm -hmm. as as a little kid. And I get to Chicago. Sammy is not Sammy yet. He hadn't broken right, out, right, right, but he's right, close. Right, right, right. Um, Mark Grace was there. Ryan Sandberg mm-hmm. had retired and came back. Right. Sean Dunstan. Oh, yeah. yeah. So that was yeah. that was a good core group of guys mm-hmm. uh, there, in, uh, and and some big name you know guys mm-hmm. there in, in Chicago. And I go to New York. Mm-hmm. And Mike Piazza got traded over there. Oh, yeah, that's right. Piazza was. Uh, John Franco, mm-hmm. uh, Al Leiter. Yep. Yep. You know, so I got to got to play with uh, you know some some good cats there. Mm-hmm. And the thing about all those groups right. of guys that have had success and or or were turning into super superstars right. was to me the drive that, that they had. Right. You know, I, I respected Mike Piazza because catching is hard. Yeah. It's a hard position. It beats you up. Mm-hmm. And if you would see his body with the bruises and everything on him after some games and just how mentally beat up he was trying to control a pitching staff, and he still was able to hit and put up right. those offensive numbers when he was doing all those other see, things. You think about that. You don't. Not at all. Yeah. And, and so that, that was what was uh, – you know what was kind of cool to see you know see George Brett and the injuries that he had 
and how he will will himself into playing. When if I saw him at four o'clock, it's like damn, man, he ain't playing today. Right, right. I you know, I, I don't think he's gonna be in the lineup <laughs> today. I saw him in the in the training room and it didn't look good. <laughs> and then seven o'clock come, right. and he was out there. Wow. And you know that those those type of things, and just to see what drive each guy had to perform every day, uh-huh. and how much they enjoy performing. Right. Because we, you know, you're playing a game, but you're performing. Mm-hmm. That's true. You know how much they wanted to go out there for the people that supported them and put on a good show. Right. And when they didn't, how hurt it was. Right. You know, you didn't. You don't see the hurt that right. in their their eyes and after a game. And you know, it's not like game over. Yeah. Take a shower. <laughs> I'm gonna go out and have right. a nice dinner type of thing. You know, there were some games where you know you could really see right. that the guy is hurting right. because. He didn't perform up to mm-hmm. what his standards are. And people will come to watch him. People were coming to pay good money to watch George Brett. Mm-hmm. You know, he wanted to set a standard every day where, you know, he hustled. He played the game the right way. And he wanted to perform. And just watching watching those guys were, and being around them every day and, you know, how they compete, how they get themselves ready, the stuff that they had to go through sometimes to, to get themselves ready ready to play made you appreciate made you appreciate it even more and this just makes you appreciate how hard it is to play the game when you're playing every day at a high level you know I, I played every day at a high level for I had a five or six year run there where I was a really good player right, right. these guys have had like 14 year <laughs> yeah, runs yeah. Like, I, thought, I felt I was kind of right, good right. for for like a six year period yeah. I had good run yeah. and these guys are doing it Double that uh, at demanding positions. So that 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 uh, um, that gave me a whole different level of respect for the guys that have been able to be good mm-hmm. and continue it for for a longer period. Sustain because yeah. it, 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 they made it look easy, and it's not that easy. Uh-uh. This is what's funny because when you look at baseball, like I, even when I yeah, I think families even look at it this way. Um, when they're talking about their kids playing sports. So, like, football, so brutal, you know, which is, you know, is a brutal sport, physical sport. Then, like, basketball can be, you know, treacherous to your joints, you know, you're cutting and moving all the time. Then you think about baseball, people think, well, you should probably do baseball. I feel like that's a sport that, you know, you won't, you, less injury, blah, 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 not as physical. But, but what you're saying right now is basically. But the, the thing about baseball yeah. and the other sports is it's physically demanding yes, exactly. and mentally challenging yes. and it'll beat you up and then you play every day yeah a you lot know in yeah. football and basketball yeah. yep. you have week mm-hmm. a week sometimes mm-hmm. or extra days you don't play a lot of back-to-backs right right true in baseball you have hours right, right. so if you have an injury <laughs> yeah uh, you know you sprain your ankle or yeah. you do something you have 12 hours to turn around right. and get ready to play the next day you don't have three or four days right. To, to take off yeah. and sure. then you're traveling the travel you have three days here four days here right. so the, the schedule is a lot more demanding mm-hmm. and that beats you not more in a physical sense mm-hmm. but a mental mental right. sense right. when I knew I was off at times is when we'd be on a long road trip and I just forget my room number in Toronto I might have been in a room 312 right, right. and in Pittsburgh I'm in room 321 right. you know and you go and you just go to the wrong room you know just get in late yeah, coming back you know just just things like that to travel right. sometimes we get back at three four o'clock in the morning have to play a game that night mm-hmm. so you're working on no sleep mm-hmm. 
you you you're stressed. You know, you might be struggling. Team, you might be beat up um, body wise, and you know to to be able to endure a whole season, spring training, and a season and a full season, right. um, it, it is pretty tough to yeah. do, and it's a lot more demanding than what people. Yep. You know, they see you on the field. They don't see the other things that go on. And when people ask me what the biggest thing I take from my career mm-hmm. that I'm most most proud of is the fact that I never went on a disabled list right. in, awesome. in the 10 years I played in the big awesome. league. So my, my teammates and my team could yep. count on me That's to be there. Mm-hmm. You know, I might not have been at my best, mm-hmm. but I never went on a disabled list right. the whole time I, I played. I was available to play. Mm-hmm. I might not have played – you know, for a coach's decision or yeah. I was struggling or I had a day off. Yeah. But every day that I was on the active roster, I was pretty much able to to answer the call and, yeah. and to play. And, and I, you know, and that that's the that's biggest big, thing to me. Is like being counted got, yeah. on, mm-hmm. they knew that no matter what. He was dependable. I was dependable. Mm-hmm. And, and, and my dad always told me, he goes, some days you're not going to be worth a darn. Mm-hmm. But just being in that lineup. Right helps right. everybody else. So right. just your presence there, the other team doesn't know that you beat up right. or they mentally not there. Know. They may not know that. Mm-hmm. Right. They just know your name's in that lineup. Mm-hmm. And your teammates know you're in that lineup. Right. Their team, your teammates know you out there for them. Right. And he says just some days you just have to be out there. Right. Right. And just hope for the best. Mm-hmm. But you need to you need to be out there right. for them. They don't want to see you in the training room. Mm-hmm. They don't want to see you <laughs> pull yourself out of the game. Right. 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 They want to know that Whatever's going on with you, you're out there with them. Mm-hmm. That's good stuff. The uh, <clears throat> the thing that's cool, I think, and what I think, when your life, I think most 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 fathers and sons don't get to do this. You know, I was watching ESPN and they talked a little bit about Ken Griffey and uh, his dad both being in the league at the same time. You were one of those small percentage of people that got to be and be with your dad and play while your dad managed. What was that like? We actually played a spring training game together in 86 before the Griffiths did did in in, in the big league. So I think we're the first – I have to look it up. But I I think somebody told me that we were the first father and son being in the same lineup in in 1986 in the spring training game. Because as a first-round pick in 85, you get invited to spring training Mm -hmm. the next year, Mm -hmm. and they they keep you around for a couple weeks, and then they ship you off to – but that's kind of the perk of being a first round yeah, yeah, first round pick. So I came in to spring training and I got to play in, in a game with my dad uh, yeah, the awesome. year before he retired. So he right. retired in '87. I got to big leagues in '90. Right. So it was going to be hard for him to stick around yeah, for us yeah. to play together. Mm-hmm. But the Griffiths were able to do it mm-hmm. in the big leagues, and right. uh, a few years later, right. I think '89 yes, was when they mm-hmm. when they did it. But '86, my, me and my dad were able to wow. uh, play in a game, uh, a spring training game, mm-hmm. uh, and then when he came. To manage the Royals mm-hmm. in 90, 91, I think it was, right. uh, midway through the season in 91. The thing that made me feel comfortable about that transition was because I was already there. Right. I came up in 90. I started the season in 91. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think John Watham was, was the manager. And then he was fired and my dad took over. I would have felt more, a lot more uncomfortable with the situation if he was the manager and I got called up. Right, 
know, I, I wasn't established mm-hmm. a big leaguer yet, but I was there. Bef- I got there before him, mm-hmm. so it wasn't because of him yeah, exactly. that I was in in the big leagues at that at that time. Yep. I was there. You earned it, yeah. Earned I'd it. earned it, and then he 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 got the job. Mm-hmm. So that that was a neat experience because our family hadn't been together. Everybody had been all over, all over the place, and my dad was coaching at the time with Montreal, I think. Yeah. So my parents were living in in Montreal, and my brother and sister were in college, mm-hmm. and I was in Kansas City. So we were kind of, but that that in that time that he managed here, we got to do a lot more together as a as a family than we had ever done before that because we were in one place. Everybody could come to one place and <laughs> yeah. see. And, and, and see everybody. So that that was neat. And looking back at it, it was 92 was not fun. Mm-hmm. He came up 91. 92 was I struggled. I had a bad year mm-hmm. in, in 92. And I think I took a lot of the blame on my – put a lot of blame on myself thinking that we struggled as a team and my dad may get fired as a manager because I didn't play well. Cause I was a leadoff hitter, and I I just thought that I think I over overanalyzed too much in 1992. Cause that was the first full year of him being a manager. Right. right. I thought I was established now, cause I came up in '90, had a full year in '91. '92, right. I was gonna take off. Yeah, you know, I thought that was my year, and it didn't happen. And we struggled. I struggled. My dad struggled as a manager, and I just I took that all to heart, and just that was the worst year. Worst year of my career. And then 93 and 94, right. rebounded, okay. bounced back, and things. I think I just – I exhaled and said, you know, whatever happened before, I can't throw all these high expectations okay. on myself and okay. just go out and play my just game. Play. Yeah. Play. yeah. So 93 and 94 were great. And it was, it was cool to have him in the dugout to watch. Yeah. To watch that. And the team was playing well, and we almost made the playoffs. You know. So that that was that was the, the most satisfying thing was to come back after having a bad '92 year, and then go on a run of six years where I kind of established myself as one of the better center fielders in, in the league, and, and and a good player, and just felt good about you know what I was doing, and had my dad there in '93 and '94 get to see. My successes every night, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. you know, he didn't have somebody call like Brian got a couple hits tonight. No you know, he, was like, there. he was like, yeah, I, so he got to got to see it, right. and uh, you know, so that that was cool that uh, yeah. you know we got to experience that to, together for those for those two years because yeah. uh, ninety two was a year that I beat myself up more than any other year right. as a as a, as a big league player. I learned a lot, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, but I also. Put myself in a bad situation by my thought process, right, right. and um, but that's a lot of pressure. Though, and like and needed, I, I needed the rebound because mm-hmm. if I didn't have a good year in '93, I probably wouldn't have played anymore. Right, after that. I got you, I got you. No, it's a lot though. I mean, we got pops coming in, and you know, he's you want to make, make you know make him do good, do right by him, make let him know you know you you came and you're doing it, doing it right, and doing it big now, and. And then for him being a manager again, so like I just said, it, it would suck if you didn't. You had a bad year, and then yeah, if he, he gets fired, I think I was yeah, like because exactly. of me. I'd have been the same yeah. way though. I'd have been the same way. Like, like, I got, man, I'm around and got my dad right. fired. <laughs> exactly, they right. That's family. 
but no, that's good. So this is one thing I do want everyone to know that's listening uh, in the world. Uh, Kansas City is the home of the uh, Negro uh, Baseball uh, Museum, and uh, talk a little bit about that. I know you've been you've been there quite a bit. We've all been there, but uh, talk a little about that and the impact. Well, one, I hope it stays. Yeah. You know, there are different entities that are trying to trying to move the uh, Negro League Museum. I think to Birmingham or or to New York. And they have more funding and more money, and they're, they're thinking they can do a better job. But this is where the meeting happened. You know, the league was formed at a meeting here in Kansas City. The, the, the museum needs to, needs to stay in, in, in Kansas City. The 18th and Vine area, you know, COVID has pretty much crushed that, that, that area. The, the Jazz Museum, you know, I don't, I don't know if that's going that's gonna, that, that's hanging. Um, I was on the board for a while with the with the Negro League Museum, and I help out with different events there. It's something that um, you know to to me, it it shows what the pure essence of baseball, right? You know what it what it is and what it was, right? You know, um, no big contracts or yeah. no, and and the guys barnstorm and they played and. You know they bounced bounced around from town to town, and they found a way to make it work. Right. And they 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 played the game they love playing. Right. Played played the game of baseball, and you know the Negro Leagues. They created a lot of things that people don't even know about. Right. You know lights. Right. You know <laughs> yeah. lights at the game, playing night games. Right. You know that those. You know some of those things started the, the Negro Leagues started doing. They pioneered. Right. Um, you know some of some of those right. things that we just kind of take for take for right. granted now, and and just to just to understand understanding of the whole dynamics of it, mm-hmm. where you know these guys weren't able to play mm-hmm. at the highest level, right. but they made it to the highest level they could, right. and then it got to the point where they were able to play mm-hmm. exhibition games right. against yeah. big league teams yeah. and. Fifty thousand people would come out right. and watch them. Right. Yep. You know, they wouldn't watch them separate, no, but they no, would watch no, them yeah. together. Like, so that was. It, but it's just neat to learn, um, to learn learn the history of some of the great players in the Negro Leagues, mm-hmm. to learn that. You know, there were leagues formed before it was official, right. um, that played, and you played in your own community and. And, and things like that. So, so baseball in the black community has a great have great history, right, right, for sure. And it'd be a shame to to lose that. Yeah, yeah. And I know there's a resurgence with some inner city programs that are going on. The, right. the academy here that the that the Royals uh, help help build. Mm-hmm. You know, so you just hope that it, it continues to grow right. and the grassroots. Um, Initiatives that Major League Baseball is trying to do, and and what a lot of these communities are trying to do, bring kids back to understanding that you know baseball is a sport that you can play. No doubt, it, mm-hmm. it, it is for you, mm-hmm. and you know it's fun and exciting and right. And if uh, and I'll be honest with you, if you guys have not been to the Negro uh, Museum, uh, baseball museum, uh, you got to go. Uh, and if you can support. 
this mission because, like Brian said, it's definitely needed. Uh, the traditions and history that the, the Negro League and the baseball players uh, have built. And, and, and Bob Kendrick there um, is is the best. Yeah. You know, he, he there was a, a division going on some years ago, about 10 years ago, and he was let go right, right after Buckle Neal's death from the uh, right. Negro League Museum um, as, the, as the president. And the museum was almost lost, and he, he's back. And you know, he, he's he's a he's not only a Kansas City treasure, right. but he's just right. he's a baseball treasure. Just right. just spend time with him and, and talk right. to him or listen to him speak. He does as good a job as anybody to be an ambassador for something. Right. And um, you know, it's a privilege to get to hang out with him, and I learn something new every time I hang out with him. And I go to the museum sometimes. I'll take some friends in there and just hope that he's there, right, just to you. stumble upon them and right. and you know he'll the welcome them and mm-hmm. take them through and uh, you know so uh, uh, I, I hope the museum stays here in Kansas City and um, and Bob does as great a job as you can do right. with being at the forefront of things there and right. I know with the the Kansas City T-Bones mm-hmm. changing their name to yeah. the Monarchs. Yeah. They're going to incorporate awesome. some things. I'm, I like that. I like yeah, that. So I, I think that's that's all that's all good. And right. uh, um, the museum has has struggled, and COVID didn't help. Uh-uh. But I think it's on the rebound, and okay. Okay. hopefully we'll see some some good things there in right. the future. Right, I love it. Let's talk a little bit about you know your former team, the Kansas City Royals. Uh, right now, they seem to be playing very, very well. No, it's fun to see. They're, they're, they're in first place. Right. And we're almost at the end of April. Right. They have pretty much done what they needed to do. They beat the teams that they're better than. Right. And I think they've only lost one series mm-hmm. to the Rays, and the mm-hmm. Rays played in the World Series right. last year. Right. Um, they split with the Indians and the White Sox, who mm-hmm. they're going to have to battle with for the division. Uh, right. No, it, it, it's fun to watch them right now, right. and they're an exciting team. Right. Hopefully they continue to play this way, right. and as the months go on, people can get out to the ballpark. Right. You know, ho- hopefully, hopefully by all-star break, right. we'll be able to have right. full crowds or, or close to full crowds out there so people can – enjoy this team in person and give them the type of shot that you need a, a long you know sure. a long season that energy level that you really, get from the fans yeah. oh. is a good boost i'm glad to hear you say that i mean they, it, 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 i don't know how they did it <laughs> playing in front of no fans right because i remember doing that in the low minor leagues mm-hmm. and every day going to the ballpark hearing conversations right. from, you know, and, and being around no energy, right? You had to create your energy, yeah. and every day you can't create no. your own energy. Right. It just doesn't doesn't happen like that. So to have fans be able to give them that little boost, hopefully, yeah. more and more people can go out there. The, the times that I've been out there, it's been great. Right. Hearing, uh, you know, just six thousand sound right. like forty, right? And exactly. it, it, it's been good. Mm-hmm. Been yeah, it was similar when we did the Chiefs. The little little we had there. Um, so talk, tell us about Kansas City. Like, obviously, you played here. And, you know, you've done very well. And uh, but, you know, you picked this to be your home. You could live. You could be in Bradenton. You could be anywhere. Uh, New York, Chicago. I mean, a lot of great cities in the United States that you could live in. What's special about KC and you know making this your home and uh, being here? I enjoy the Midwest. Mm-hmm. I enjoy the people. Yeah. I enjoy the fact that 
I'm two and a half hours from either coast if I want to go somewhere. With with the travel that I did, especially when I when I was broadcasting and working for uh, for ESPN and Major League Baseball mm-hmm. out of New York, I just like having the home base here. Right. I I enjoy, like I said, just the the fact that it's accessible. Um, you know, not to say you can hide out, but I just I like you know I like the fact that I can come back home mm-hmm. and and relax. Right. And right. people don't bother me much mm-hmm. here. They didn't bother me much here when. When I played, mm-hmm. and I appreciate the fact that right. uh, people gave me my personal space right. and my family space, mm-hmm. and I think that's that's the main reason. You know, it's not a big deal to run into professional athletes here right. that much. So sure. pe- people have been real good and gracious that in that way, right. and made me feel comfortable enough to want to live here. My family live right. here. And, um, you know, th- those are probably the biggest reasons. Right. I love it. I love it. Yeah, and I'm with you there on the same way. Yep. And it, it's not only that. It's like people genuinely care and want to see you do well, like you've done since I've been here. So, I, you know, I appreciate you uh, taking me in and introducing me to some new people I had met and, you know, and, and ongoing from there. But as far as your future go, like, I mean, obviously you've, you've done a lot and accomplished a lot. And where do you see yourself? Like, what's, what's your five-year plan from now? I don't know. Like, what are you going to do, man? Because – COVID kind of put a halt yes. on <laughs> on summer baseball and some of the coaching yeah. and, and the things that, that I was doing with um, my um, my summer program, the, my Kansas City Sluggers program. We had six and eight teams before COVID, and I and I coach with them and and do lessons and, and things like that. But with the last two years being up in the air, it, it's kind of changed my thinking about what 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 I want to do and. Uh, my daughter's getting into high school, so you know next year she'll be at Blue Valley North, and right. uh, probably just going to wait things out and see what happens uh, on the college front with coaching wise. COVID's probably going to knock out a lot of college baseball programs, unfortunately, yeah. or they're going to use that as an excuse right. to drop right. some programs. Right. So the opportunities aren't going to be there as much to to, to coaching in, in college and. That's, that's unfortunate because college is going to lose a lot of yeah. uh, uh, talented people that are going to have to go into other fields. Uh, you know, so for right now, I just think I'll just try to rebrand and build the summer program. Right. I love it. And hopefully by the fall, I'll have a little bit better idea of, of, uh, of what we, what we want to do and right. what we can do. You know, we had an indoor facility in North Kansas City for a while. Right that the company that we're renting space out of uh, Regal Athletic or Regal Plastics mm-hmm. they had to use the rest of that so we lost our indoor facility some of the fields that were high school fields that we had been using over the last few years mm-hmm. because of covid right. they weren't letting of course no one to get out there yet. you couldn't you couldn't mm-hmm. use the fields mm-hmm. so that so that that's all kind of uh, put a dent into what I normally would do in the summers where I would coach a summer a 16 or 17 U team we travel around the Midwest right. every weekend for about eight weeks and and play tournaments in front of college coaches and I'd help kids try to get right. try to get scholarships. So mm-hmm. um, yeah, I just wait waiting everything out. I love it. Mm-hmm. But eventually, I'd like to get back into into doing that. I, I broadcasted for on and off for 15 years right. doing college ball and uh, and and 
did the Royals for a little bit on TV and radio, pre and post game. Did did right. some of those broadcasting things. Um, not as many broadcast opportunities are out there either. Not right for sure. Um, so you know the things that I normally do mm-hmm. in in the summer and fall have been taken right. away from me yeah, a little bit. Right. And, COVID shut it down. They really uh, did. But there are other things that have opportunities to come up since COVID. Memorabilia is. Yeah. Is going crazy. So I've done autograph shows, and I think I'm going to go to Chicago mm-hmm. uh, in July, and you know, do do some of those. So some of those things are, are coming. So it's it's not what I'm used to doing in the summer, but there's some other opportunities for some things until we get back to normal. Man, that's awesome. And uh, <clears throat> you know, no matter what, we, I know you're going to be all right. <laughs> but uh, for what we're going to do, man, um, I want to say thank you because. This is really big, and um, not only that, you helped set this up, so we'll, ho- we'll hopefully be doing a lot more podcasts and uh, getting some things done. Um, how do people find you? You got you're on Instagram or whatever? Um, it's Instagram is uh, bmccray56, uh, my, my number. Yeah. Uh, on Twitter, it's uh, Park Baseball, P-A-R-K-B-S-E-B-S-B, and it was, it was my Twitter handle when I was – uh, coaching at Park University, yeah, and I just uh, and I just kept it, and uh, um, that's that's about the only thing I do social media media wise. Um, but uh, I do interact with uh, with uh, baseball fans and, and people on social media, uh, especially you know, during during the season. They want to ask questions, right, and sure. and especially with the analytics mm-hmm. and the data driven yes, side yes, against yes, the old school yes, side. <laughs> so answer a lot of questions that, that, that way. And, uh, um, I have good discussions with, you know, players and, uh, high school players, college players right. that, that have questions about things. And I have no, have no issue with people reaching out to me. Uh, reach out to him. He's a wealth of knowledge. And also, not only that, he knows all the good places to eat. So, <laughs> you know that. So, But I'm, I'm Marlon Blakeney. Uh, obviously, um, uh, you can find me at uh, MBQ World. That's my handle on the IG. Uh, on IGRQ underscore World Podcast is where you'll find all the clips and video for uh, the podcast we're doing. Uh, please uh, hit on uh, YouTube. Hit that subscribe button for us because we definitely need you to follow us and your feedback is very important to our success. Pass this on to friends, family members. I'll let them know what we're doing if you like it. And um, other than that, we'll look forward to talking to you guys later. Thanks for sharing your time with us. We know it's very valuable and you could be doing a million things other than just listening to us talk. But we really appreciate you and I look forward to seeing you guys on our next, next podcast. Take care.